Good morning. I'm so sorry. Before you sit down, I meant to say, when I say the word practice, what comes to your mind? When I say the word practice, what comes to your mind? In spite of all the sports I played all those years, the only thing that comes to my mind is my mother saying, go practice your piano. So I want you to stand back up and tell one person what comes to your mind when you hear the word practice. So do that, and then you may be seated. For the last several weeks, we've been involved in a conversation about spiritual growth. What is it? How does it happen? Uh, where does it come from? And we've been walking our way through the little New Testament book of Philippians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Philippi. And what he said, and we've said this repeatedly week after week, what he says essentially is he calls us away from casual Christianity to more. Bounding more and more in love and depth of insight and knowledge so that we can make wise decisions. More of him, more of him in our lives. Digging deeper into who he is and learning more and more about him and more and more about ourselves. Becoming more and more effective people to tell that story and more and more effective neighbors and friends and co-workers and fathers and wives and, and children. We're going to take a brief break from the book of Philippians this morning, and what we're going to do is we're going to zoom up to about the 64,000 foot level, and we're going to look at the whole landscape of spiritual growth. I'm apologizing in advance. I'm going to feed you with a fire hose this morning, just give you a lot of information. There have been times over the years that I have taken what we're going to talk about this morning, and I've taken seven weeks to talk about it. This morning, we're going to do it in 20 minutes, so I'm not expecting you to remember all of this. We're going to start by reading a brief passage from the book of Galatians, which is another one of those ancient letters from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to a group of Christians in uh, the ancient region of Galatia. And we're going to look at that, back up from it, take this big picture view of how you do the spiritual life. So today, if, if this is not inspirational, at the very least, I hope it's helpful and informative. We've been in this discussion for a long time here at Gateway, and we've developed uh, a way of looking at organizing. There are others, but we've developed a way of organizing uh, the spiritual life, how you do it. That's been very, very helpful for us. I want to roll that out for you this morning. And it begins with a system of, let's call them habits. They're really ways of thinking. Think pockets of thought. They are ways of thinking about ourselves and about God and about one another and about our spiritual life. But then those ways of thinking have practical outworkings. They have practices. There are how-tos. So this morning, I want to give us those habits. And then I want to give us, under each habit, I want to give us some how-tos, some practices. If you're thinking at the habit level, think this. Those habits are ways of thinking that allow for spiritual growth in our lives. But then when we get to the actual practices, those are activities. Those are practices that create space within which God can move and speak and that encourage our spiritual growth. So we're going to look at all of that, again, at the big picture level, and then we're going to drop back down and land in that Galatians passage and wrap it up. And at the very end, we're going to come with a, an extremely specific application, which is just one among many, but it's an important one for us right now as a church here at Gateway. All right, with all that said, 
Wow, let's read that scripture. Galatians chapter 6. If you go to mygateway.life in your phone, you'll find a program, an application that uh, helps us keep in touch with one another. And one of the cards in that, if you swipe, one of the cards in that is current sermon series. Touch that, and underneath it is today's sermon, and this passage will be there. Mygateway.life. Mygateway.life. So go to, open your browser, go to mygateway.life, and you can find a today's scripture, and there's also a place there to take notes. All right, Galatians 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 10. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, and this is going to be the heart of what we're talking about this morning. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Parentheses, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You may be seated. Okay, so one more illustration to tee us up. Many of us have tried over the years to engage in some kind of weight loss activity, and that's the point. You've engaged in some kind of weight loss activity. Having someone, even if it's a doctor, or especially if it's someone in your family, having someone point their finger at you and say, lose weight is not at all helpful. You need a way of thinking about food. You need to change the way you're thinking about food. And then you need some practices. And as you know, there are programs out there that create ways of counting calories or lists of meals or practices, activities that will actually help you lose weight. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, because having someone point at you, whether it's your family or whether it's someone like me, and say, do better, be more like God, be a decent human being and a good worker, and be a good father, is not helpful. And the scriptures are far more helpful than that. So let's take that big picture, 64,000 foot view of what spiritual growth looks like. Because in the same way, spiritual growth requires far more than finger-pointing commands. In Psalm 25, the psalmist says this, and I'm going to have you read part of this with me in a second. The psalmist says this in Psalm 25, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Listen to this and read it with me. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. I'm, we're going to read that again. Because when he says ways and paths, he has something specific in mind. Let's do it again. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. When the psalmist says, show me your ways, teach me your path, he means something far more helpful than just vague knowledge he knows he has to think in certain ways about God, about himself, about life, in order to deal effectively with his life, in order to know God. He also knows that he has to adopt certain practices. He has to engage in certain activities if he's going to build the kind of life for which he was designed. 
He has something specifically in mind. He has habits in mind, ways of thinking that encourage growth, and he has practices in mind, ways of living that will allow for growth. So, as I said, we at Gateway have organized this into seven habits, seven ways of thinking that have become helpful and important to us, and under each way of thinking, we're going to give you this morning a couple of practices. You may have others. So first, the first thinking pocket, the first habit that you and I need to adopt if we're going to grow spiritually is we've got to think about our resources differently. We have to use our resources with wisdom and purpose. We cannot be people who let our schedules and our possessions run us. We have to train ourselves to be people who use our stuff with wisdom and purpose. And there are two practices that I think are extremely helpful for us in this uh, habit. And I'm going to go through these quickly, I'm sorry. In this habit of using our resources with wisdom and purpose. The first one is uh, the Old Testament uses the tithe as a starting point. We collected an offering a minute ago. Listen to what the Old Testament says in Malachi chapter 3. The prophet Malachi says this in the Old Testament, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? Well, in tithes and offerings, Malachi says. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. So the tithe was literally 10%. And I say this is the starting point in the Old Testament because they were encouraged to give 10% of everything and bring it in as an offering. But they were also encouraged to make regular sacrifices as well as give to the poor. So for them, the tithe was just the starting point. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't even mention tithe. Jesus really talks about our lives as if our whole lives come to us as a gift of God. It's all a stewardship. So Gary's on a plane, he reads an article from USA Today, and suddenly he realizes that my whole life has been given to me, and I'm just a steward over it. It's not mine. And so he gives it, all of it, in a very different direction. James 1, 16 and 17 says this, don't be deceived. Again, same phrase. My dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from Above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Second practice that will help us use our resources with wisdom and purpose is time management. Time, of course, is the, the one com commodity that's even more valuable than our money. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It keeps repeating this idea of us not being foolish, doesn't it? Time management is critically important if we're going to learn to use our resources with wisdom and purpose. These are activities that you and I can practice. We can get a book. We can talk to one another. We can hold one another accountable for the use of our time. Second big picture thinking habit is to practice creative devotion. We have to have a regular practice in our lives of connecting with God. We will not grow spiritually if we don't have some regular time, and for most of us, it must be daily, because each day is too important. A regular practice of devoting ourselves to Him, connecting with Him. Let me give you some specific activities that help with that habit. One is Bible reading. Psalm 19 7 and 8 says this, the law of the Lord, a way of saying God's word, is perfect, listen to what it does, reviving the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord, another way of saying God's word, are trustworthy. Listen to what it does. Making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. All of these are descriptions of God's word, and it revives our soul. It makes us wise. It's a source of joy. It gives us insight when we're in difficult and dark places. It gives us insight when we're in difficult and dark places. You have to have some regular practice of spending time with God, learning his character, and the principal source of learning his character is the Bible. A second practice that I would add to the business of practicing creative devotion is prayer. Too much scripture to go over, but simply put, prayer is is communication with God. We are not going to grow spiritually without praying and without learning more and more how to pray because prayer is both the simplest thing in our spiritual life and the most complicated. Bible reading and prayer. Let me add another thought habit to our list of thought habits, and that is if we're going to grow spiritually, we've got to open our lives to people in need. God has not done what he's done in you for you alone. Stay with me. We're going to land back in Galatians, and you'll hear it in a second. He's not done what he's done in you for you alone. So let's offer a couple of specific practices that will help you and I keep our lives open to people in need. I didn't plan this with Gary and Martha in mind, but this is perfect. I want to offer two. First is go on a short-term mission trip. Take your kids on a short-term mission trip. We do some every summer at Gateway. Sign up for one and go. Is it a hassle? Yes. Does it cost? Yes. Is it worth it? More than. It keeps you in touch with the best part of you The part of you that wants is designed for meeting need. It gets you beyond your own nose. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, his last words to his disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, and teach them what I've told you. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. Go. A second practice that I would offer for us is to simplify. Simplify your life. And this is especially important for suburban Americans, especially those of us who live in Northern Virginia. I want you to hear Psalm 131. Psalm 131 says this, my heart isn't proud, nor am I concerned with things beyond me, things too wonderful for me. We are people who should not concern ourselves with things beyond us. We need to keep our focus and our lives as simple as possible. That helps us open to people in need. Fill your life up with your stuff, your activity. Baseball practice and dance practice and extra work commitments and family commitments. You fill your life up. You don't have room for God to move you. You don't have room to grow. Open our lives to people in need. Let's give another. Uplift God's character. For those of you who are keeping score at home, what we're really talking about here is having God's character displayed on the screen of our lives. The Bible calls this holiness. Jesus put it very succinctly in his sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know I'm throwing a ton of stuff at you. Hang with me. I want you to get the general principle because, again, we're going to land back in Galatians in a minute. So uplift God's character. Why? One of Jesus' best friends, Peter, explained part of the reason for this. Peter tells us this. 
chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires. They wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As we display God's character, that becomes a testimony to others. They see what God's love is like and what it does. So uplift God's character. Well, how? There are two practices that I want to commend to you, and you've got to put your big boy pants on for both of these. The first one is confession of sin. So not to a random stranger, that's hard enough. Not to a priest or someone like me, also can be important. But face to face with someone that you know and love, who can love on you, pray for you, and hold you accountable. James 5, 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And he's using that word healed there in the biggest possible sense. He means both physically, but he also means spiritually and emotionally. You want to heal the dissonance in your marriage? Start confessing sin. You want to heal what's going on with you? Start telling somebody else what's happening and let them pray for you. A second practice that we should offer is scripture memory. Now, this is foreign to some of you, but some of you have been doing this a long time. I commend it highly. Grab a verse from what we talked about this morning or grab a verse from something you read this week that jumped out at you and spoke to you and, and run it over and over in your mind. Psalm 119.11 says this in the most practical sense. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One more. Let's add to that uplift God's character. Tell other people about Jesus. As we express that story, it becomes A, more and more real to us and more and more in us is blown up and enlightened. Let me give you two practices. First, share your story. Share your story. The reason we're here this morning is because someone shared their story with us. I want you to listen to how Paul talks about his own ministry. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Share your story. A second practice under tell others about Jesus, offer random acts of kindness. This has become a thing in the last few years, especially among those of you who are millennials, and it's a really good thing. In our passage that we read this morning, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let's steal from that. Paul says, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, pause, take a breath. I know I just threw a ton at you so much information at a certain point it starts to sound like blah 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 it becomes even boring so let's pause for a second because I don't want this to be boring I want to remind us that these practices are meant to create space into which God can move and grow us just like a farmer don't miss this a farmer cannot make an apple tree grow so we cannot grow our goodness or our holiness or our effectiveness as fathers and mothers and friends. But unless the farmer prepares the soil and plants an apple seed, the apple tree will not grow. So we have to do the work of preparing the soil and planting the right seed. God brings the growth. All right, let's go over two more big picture habits and then some practices underneath each, and then we're going to do a little exercise. And then we're going to land back in Galatians.
Two more habits that we have to think about if we're going to grow spiritually. The first is we have to invest in community. There have been surveys too numerous to name that have cited that Americans, and it's not just Americans, P.S., in mass, in every generation, want community. I read an article a number of years ago that they did extensive surveys among the various generations alive in America today. They, they surveyed the, the builders, which is the generation above baby boomers, and then they surveyed baby boomers, and then they surveyed Gen X, and then they surveyed millennials and Gen whatever they're coming up with now. And they asked them for their top five priorities. And then they made lists of the top five priorities for each of these generations. And there was only one thing that came up on every single list. Community. But you don't get community, Northern Virginians, by wanting it. You get community by investing in it. So let me give you two practices that will help with the development of community. Number one, meet together regularly. At Gateway, we do that through our small groups. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this. Look, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How can we help one another? And, and let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The first church, we got a picture of the first church in Acts chapter 2, and it says of that first group of Christians, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So first, meet together. Secondly, serve. We're going to get back to that one at the end. I want you to remember that. But again, Peter, 1 Peter 4, 10 says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Serve. So to invest in community, we need to serve. And our, our final habit of thinking is to nourish others out of personal wholeness. I had a lot to say about this, but let's do it quickly. We need to move on. I'm going to give you two practices that help us nourish others out of personal wholeness. This is the point for you and I to be the kind of people who can nourish others. And if I don't get well, I'm going to be bringing to you my unwellness. So this habit goes two ways. It's both me getting healthier, and it's me depositing the health that I'm growing in in you. I'm going to give, you, give us two practices. Number one is counseling. And there are too many verses in the book of Proverbs that talk about the need for counsel and advice and correction to go over this morning. But I commend that to you as the counsel of a counselor or the counsel of a good friend. Seek counseling. And second, engage yourself in a mentoring relationship. Remember, this is what Jesus did. The Savior of the world, the Savior of the world came to the planet and did not engage the planet in his plan of salvation with large crusades. But instead, he gathered 12 people around him. And really, at the most significant points in his life, there were three, Peter, James, and John. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul, constantly mentoring Timothy and also having friends alongside him and having those above him who were mentoring him. So engage in a mentoring relationship. Wow, that was a lot. Okay, let's wake up and let's do some lab work for a minute. So I want you with someone other than just your family 
If you're visiting with us, thanks so much for coming. We're really glad to have you. Once in a while, I do something obnoxious on a Sunday morning, and I make you talk to one another, and this is one of those times. So I want you to literally turn your chairs into circles of not more than seven people. Four to seven people. You can't be just with your family. So try to find some folks that you don't know well, and I'm going to give you a couple of questions. Okay. Which one of these habits of thinking comes most naturally to you? And I'm serious. Which one of these habits of thinking comes most naturally to you? None of the above is a somewhat acceptable answer. But I would prefer you to be honest and name the one. I'm not saying you're good at it, but it's the one that comes most naturally to you anyway. I want you to be quick, but using resources with wisdom and purpose. Practicing creative devotion. Investing in community, nourishing others out of personal wholeness, opening my life to people in need, having God's character be displayed on the screen of my life, telling other people about Jesus. Which of these comes most naturally to you? I'm only going to give you a couple of minutes. Go. All right, for the next question, is there a practice that comes easily to you? No is an acceptable answer but we would prefer not. If so, which one? Which one of these might come most easily to you of the practices that we talked about this morning? Okay, go. Let's do our best to turn back around. Honestly, thank you so much for engaging in that. Especially for those of you, if we have any people who are here for the first or second time, thank you. I know that can be awkward on the 1 to 10 awkward scale. For some of you, that's an 11. And I really appreciate your attempt to engage in that. Here's why we do that. We're not going to apologize for making it difficult on ourselves not to engage with one another, not to step in and not to connect. So thank you for, for trying. So let's look back at Galatians 6 and wrap up. Paul said, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Or who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What does he mean? Well, he means that there's a natural reckoning built into the fabric of our lives, of reality itself. On one side of the ledger, we must recognize that we will not get away with it. It seems like we can and do at times, but we will not. On the other side of the ledger, we need to be reminded that we will be rewarded. Goodness will win out. God is not mocked. He is not fooled. He cannot be taken for granted. He cannot be manipulated, not by circumstances, not by argument, not even by our pain. He is unrelenting in his love and in his justice, and his world, reality itself, will ultimately fully cooperate with his work and his will. That means when we sow to our lesser desires, we will reap destruction. But when we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. Think of the farmer again. When she plants weeds, she will grow a field of weeds. When she plants tomatoes, a pretty worthless plant, she will grow a field of tomatoes. 
When she plants apple trees, apple trees will grow. And if they are planted rightly and the soil is cared for, they will produce apples. So when we nurture our sinful desires, we reap destruction. We damage relationships. We end up depressed and discouraged and distant from God. How do we do that? How do we sow to the sinful nature? Will we adopt thinking habits that are not God-pleasing and we nurture those practices, reinforcing our thinking habits? With what we do, we think in certain ways that do not please God and we practice things that reinforce those ways of thinking. So when we think God might not exist or that he's capricious or that he doesn't care about me, then we're moving in the wrong direction. And and if we nurture practices that are in keeping with that thinking, we will reap destruction. If we nurture pride, if we allow ourselves to think, I need to protect myself or I need to promote myself, I need to make sure everybody knows what I did, then we set ourselves up for destruction. And if we engage in activities that nurture that thinking, we ensure that destruction. For example, when someone hurts me, I rehearse that over and over again, what they did, how wrong it is, how violated I am. I constantly remind myself of the score. Or I daydream about my future, the money, the notoriety, or the applause. I build scenarios that reinforce my pride. Or when I practice these things, I I reinforce my pride. And I will ultimately reap destruction. I will damage my relationships. My anxiety will grow. It's just what happens because God is not mocked. Or let's take greed. If I want what my neighbor has or or I just want more, then I obsess about my investments. I daydream about winning the lottery. I try every multi-level marketing opportunity I hear about. When I practice things that reinforce my greed, I will ultimately reap destruction. Or let's take lust. I want sexual fulfillment and pleasure. I allow myself to think that that's what I need right now. now That's going to be fine. It's going to satisfy me. Then I look at pornography. Or I flirt with my coworker. I imagine scenarios when we stumble into one another and things just naturally progress. I will watch romantic movies over and over again, imagining myself caught up in the feelings portrayed there. When I practice things that reinforce my lust, I will ultimately reap destruction. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. There is a way that God intends for us to live. There's a path He intends for us to walk. He designed us to think a certain way about life, about Him, about ourselves, about relationships. And when we think that way, we align ourselves with His will and we reap, ultimately, eternal life. There is a way that reinforces that, that reinforces the movement of His Spirit in our lives. There are practices, there are activities. When we engage in them, They create space for God to move. They encourage spiritual growth. And when we sow to the Spirit, when we think that way, and when we practice that way, we reap eternal life. We grow spiritually. All God's people said,
They did, and they meant it. Let's give a really specific application. Random, but important. One of the things we talked about was serving. Because so many of us have been visiting Gateway over the last number of months, we're beginning a second service on Easter Sunday. We had a lot of people come uh, visit us Christmas Eve, and some of you have filtered back in over the last month and a half, two months. We suspect that a lot of people will be here again at Easter, and we want to create space because it's not just for us. We need to tell this story to others. So we're starting a second service beginning Easter, and we're going to roll it after that. That means we need lots of volunteers. We need you to step in and serve. So if you've been coming for three weeks, but you're beginning to feel like this might be your home, remember I said a number of weeks ago, thank you so much for coming. It's great to have you, but what we got right now is a crowd. That's not a church. So we need to build church. And to build church, we need you and I to serve. So there are various specific ways that we need you to sign up. So if you're fairly new to Gateway, then I'm going to encourage you to step in. We'll give you opportunities next week and the week after that. We're going to have kind of volunteer Sunday. We're going to display some of the service needs in here in the room and give you a few weeks to sign up before we get to Easter. If you've been at Gateway for a long time and you're a little tired, let me remind you of what Paul said this morning. Let's don't grow weary in doing good. So I need you to step back up and serve again. One of the areas that we need almost all of us to serve is in the children's area. Now here's the good news about children. Those of you who are, have been coming to Gateway for the last few months, and some of your neighbors are coming, some of your friends are coming, this is a great way to learn the gossip about what's going on in your neighbor's homes. Go work with their children, they'll tell you everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we need you. And don't apologize for needing you, that's the reality. So we'll talk more specifically about this next week. Now don't stay away, (laughs) because you know that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to dive back into Philippians next week. We're going to be talking about, ultimately, about service and giving you opportunities to serve. Jordan, come up and uh, wrap us up with one verse and chorus of something. It was so good to have you all. We ran a little bit over, you know, this morning before coming, well, earlier this week, I had a number of conversations with different ones of you about just dramatic stuff happening in some of your lives. Now, some of you just rolled through another week, and praise the Lord for that, because some of you are in really, really difficult places right now. And I sent an email earlier, yesterday, in fact, uh, to the worship team, just telling them some of the conversations that I had had this week, and I I reminded them of this. It became kind of an epic thing for me. It did for us this morning when we were praying before the service. I reminded them, there's a lot at stake when we gather together like this. You are at stake, and I am. That's a big deal. So I thank you for engaging in this and experimenting with us. Thanks so much for coming. Let's wrap this up and then go home. Jordan, send us out. Say a verse and chorus. Let's stand. I was your foe. I was your foe. Still, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. 
felt no worth You paid it all for me You have been so, so Have a great Sunday.